Well, in order to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas, Clark Griswold in the 1999 uh, classic National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation was determined to light up 25,000 incandescent Christmas lights outside of his house. Uh, There wasn't one part of his exterior that was not covered by lights. It was on his roof. It was on his siding. It was on his garage. Everything was covered in lights. And since that movie came out back in, in 1989, it's hard to believe it's been that long already, though the number of houses in real life that have exterior Christmas lights seems to have uh, lowered quite a bit. The ones that do have Christmas lights have gotten far more extravagant, far more uh, bright as the years go on. If you were to take an evening drive uh, around the neighborhood and out into the country, you would undoubtedly see uh, that uh, some people have some lights and display contests that, I've been watching peanuts too much, lights and displays that you would think that they hired a uh, a designer for uh, these display con, uh, these display things. There are um, lights all over the house. There's lights in the yard, plastic and inflatable. Uh, in the past few years, you see more of these LED projection things that have stars that are moving, the Grinch that is out there, all sorts of really fun stuff. There are some houses that sync up their lights to music. And it's fantastic. Uh, A noticeable trend, however, is the observation that you don't see as many uh, nativity scenes anymore. Uh, I remember a day uh, when you'd have at least one manger scene on every block. Uh, Almost every church that you would drive by would have a nativity scene out front. How many live nativities do we even see anymore? Uh, Not very many, and the ones that we do are probably uh, going to be fading out here. Uh, So why is uh, there a rise in this massive growth in extravagant lights on the front house and on the yard uh, and a reduction in nativity scenes? Uh, Perhaps the answer can be found in the data. According to a 2017 report from the Pew Research Center, uh, most U.S. adults believe the religious aspects of Christmas uh, are emphasized less now than they have been in the past. Even as relatively few Americans are even bothered by this trend, it doesn't seem to bother anyone that the religious nature of Christmas is not emphasized. The most seismic change captured by the survey from a theological standpoint uh, is the declining number of people who say and believe that the biblical Christmas uh, accurately reflects historical events. Uh, A survey asked respondents about their beliefs in at least four parts of the Christmas story, that an angel heralded the birth of Jesus, that it was a virgin birth, that the wise men were guided to a baby by a star, and that he was placed in a manger. Only 57% of Americans uh, believed all four in 2017. That was down from 64% in just 2014. So understand that that is an eight percentage point difference in just three years. That's a lot. 
and researchers noted that there were two factors that contributed to this trend. The first is, is that uh, atheists and religiously unaffiliated appeared less likely than now to believe the stories of Jesus' birth. The second was a small but significant decline in people who considered themselves Christians. There was a 5% decline of self-proclaimed Christians that believed the accuracy of the Christmas story. Let that sink in for just a second. Self-described Christians are less likely today and are rapidly declining to believe the factual evidences of the birth at, of Jesus at Christmas. But as believers in the Lord Jesus, however, we can't simply throw out the truth of Christmas because it, it doesn't fit nicely with our scientific minds. Uh, this evening, I want to point out the historical sign of Christmas and its importance for us. That sign uh, has significantly less to do with all the lights that you're going to see on all the houses that, uh, that you uh, go by after church today, and has more to do with the fact that God literally took on flesh, became a person born of a virgin in order to start the task of our redemption. So let's look briefly at Isaiah 7.14. It should be a very familiar verse to many of us. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. He'll have a son. And you'll call him Emmanuel. So there are three things that are packed into this short little prophecy 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. The first is that we need to recognize that Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was born of a virgin. As I was reflecting on this verse this past week, uh, I started investigating how many Christmas carols actually talk about the virgin birth specifically. They'll talk about Jesus being born, but the ones that talk about him being specifically born of a virgin, surprisingly, I could only find three in popular uh, Christmas carols. Hark the herald angels sing, Silent Night, and O Come All Ye Faithful. And the verse in O Come All Ye Faithful is one that we never sing, but it was there in the original. There are a few lesser known ones, such as Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming, uh, or the uh, Christians Awake, Salute the Happy Morn. How many of you know that one? Christians Awake, Salute the Happy Morn. See? Nobody. Uh, how about the Virgin Mary had a baby boy? Okay, we have one head nodding over here, yeah. So it shows how rarely these are. Uh, the last one for sure is probably more of a, of a Catholic song, but the question is, why do carols and the writers of these songs uh, neglect and avoid the topic of the virgin birth? Why are we more content with just accepting that Jesus was born and was not the focus of a miraculous, uh, the miraculous nature of his birth? Uh, there seems to be two answers. First, there's a caution against uh, giving Mary too much attention. Uh, also, that's, uh, the second is that more importantly, there's an aversion to the virgin birth because, I mean, let's be honest, it seems far-fetched. 
it's not normal that things happen like this. We have thousands of years of human history, and every single one of us got here in the exact same way. It's not as if we're still trying to figure out how this, uh, how this works. And humanly and biologically speaking, a virginal conception is impossible. Yes, today's technology can probably have uh, a, a virgin be conceived, but it still takes the parts of, of a father and a mother in order to create another human being. And when we look at Isaiah 7.14, some scholars have tried to get around the virgin birth by saying that the Hebrew word for virgin, the, the word alma, actually means young lady of, of marriage, earth, uh, marriage age and not necessarily a virgin. Linguistically, that's true. But we can't believe that. First, it's because outside of the Bible, every time the word Alma is used, it is always translated as virgin. Second, the best way to figure out what this biblical text means is to see how is it presented in the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 1, the angel Gabriel is trying to convince Joseph that Mary is, is pregnant uh, by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 22 and 23, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, 14 as the proof that this was foretold 700 years before this angel came to Joseph. So it should be understood that this was a virginal conception of Jesus, not a young woman. Well, she was a young woman, but, you know, uh, put those two together. So whatever facts we're certain of in regard to how every single person in this world came about, we have to admit that what this text says about Jesus is radically different than any other person that has ever lived on this earth. So why does this matter? Well, we should take what, uh, we should listen to what a guy named Rob Bell said in his book, Velvet Elvis. He wrote this, What if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus has a real earthly biological father named Larry, and archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing, uh, that the gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of Mithra and Dionysian religious cults. I, uh, he's, this is what Bell says. I affirm the historic Christian faith, which includes the virgin birth and the Trinity and the inspiration of the Bible and much more. But if the whole faith falls apart when we re-examine and rethink one spring, then it wasn't strong in the first place, was it? So in writing this, Bell is saying that Christianity can be thought of like a Jenga puzzle. I mean, we've all played Jenga before. It's got the blocks that stack up, and you poke one out, you pull it, and you put it on top, and it has to stay balanced, and you're waiting for that one to get pulled out, and then they all come toppling down. What Bell is trying to say is he is making the argument that if you were to push the peg in which the virgin birth was on, and if the whole tower didn't come out with that, then does it truly matter. And what Bell tragically gets wrong is that you can't take out the virgin birth. You need the virgin birth, or this whole Christianity thing is nothing but a sham. If it wasn't for the virgin birth, he would be just a man that was, had indwelling sin, like you and like me. And we would be lost in our sins with no hope of redemption. 
If we were to take out the virgin birth, then there's no resurrection. If we take out the virgin birth, then the entirety of all of the scriptures are just up for grabs, and you can read it any old way that you want it to, uh, to say. It's gone. So sorry, Mr. Bell. You're wrong. The virgin birth is incredibly necessary for Christianity. It matters. So we ought to sing of it, rejoice in it, give attention to it, and that it deserves. The sign of Christmas is that a virgin should conceive. But notice second, we also ought to pay attention to the fact that Jesus was a real man. He was a baby lying in a manger. He was a real person. Now that may uh, sound strange and obvious, but it's incredibly important to redemption. In saying that the virgin will conceive and shall have a son, the prophet is saying that in every regard, this baby is just like you and me. He had a pulse, breathed oxygen, exhaled carbon dioxide. The baby in the manger ate for sustenance, drank for hydration. The baby in the manger gets tired scared, coos, cries. He needed diaper changes. He was in every single way, just like every other baby has been. The sign of Christmas is incredibly necessary and encouraging. If we were tasked to come up with some sort of way that God could be with his people, I guarantee we would never come up with this. You and I would probably want to come up with some sort of like Marvel superhero type character that just comes to earth as an adult, comes, does what he needs to do, and then either comes off the scene and that's it. And if we could choose for God to be a human, how many of us would ever choose for him to come as a baby? None of us. Babies are weak. They are dependent. And it's going to take time for this child to, to grow and to be able to save us. But in coming as a baby, uh, he is able to identify with us in every single way. He grew up. He stubbed his toe. He experienced heartbreak, loss, and grief. He knew joy. He knew laughter. He was 100% immersed into the human condition. And this is incredibly important because Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us this, that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. This means, friends, that we don't go through life alone. We don't have to feel like we are doing this by ourselves. There is a God in heaven that knows what it's like when someone that you love turns their back on you. We have a God in heaven that knows directly what it's like for someone that you love to pass away too early. We have a God that knows what it's like to be tempted and can help you through any temptation that you are facing. And he came out on the other side victorious. It's so important because he ha had he not been truly man, 
he would not have the ability to go to the cross and take the punishment that we deserved on our behalf. Only someone that was absolutely equal to us in every humanly way could do that. Without Jesus as truly human, he could only be God, but he wouldn't be redemptor. We would be stuck in our sin, and we would be trying desperately to get this God to turn his face to us. But as it is, the virgin will conceive and will bear a son, and she'll call him Emmanuel. And that is very good news. And that's the third point, that we need to recognize that Jesus is Emmanuel. Now, to get to this idea, it's helpful to know that Emmanuel literally means God with us. It's the namesake of our church. God is with us. So in this sense, not only is the virgin going to bring about someone who is truly human, but she is also bringing about someone that is truly God. What does this mean? Consider Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. By him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." So did you catch that? Jesus is God in the flesh. That baby that is laying there in a feeding trough for horses and, and for, for, for cows is the place where he lies cold and hungry. Jesus here is God with a belly button. The uncreated one created, and salvation with him. So why is this good news? Because in Jesus, truly God and truly man, he was beginning the process that this world was created for, for God to dwell with his people, to reverse the curse that began in the garden. In the advent of Christ, John tells us this in John chapter 1, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. His birth was setting in motion God's plan from the foundation of the earth to save us from, their, from our sins and helping us to look forward to the day when we will dwell with Him permanently. Revelation 21 verse 3, Then I heard a voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So here is the sign of Christmas, friends. A virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And as we close our time, consider how Richard Crashaw's 17th century poem on the nativity of our Lord summarizes this beautifully. He writes, Welcome all wonders in one sight, being Jesus. 
eternity shut in a span. Summer in winter, day in night, heaven in earth, and God in man. Great little one who is all-embracing birth lifts, lifts earth to heaven and stoops heaven to earth. Friends, let us take hold of the sign of Christmas, the birth of Jesus, truly God, truly man, born for our redemption, born for our salvation, born to give us hope. Let's pray.